Literature and Psychology by Dr. Saideh Malik Afzali, Dr. Daniel Rockers, and Dr. Alex Andrade from Tabana Organization. Tabana is a non-profit mental health organization organized in Sacramento, California. Tabana seeks to help individuals and families to strengthen their capabilities and to thrive. Aired on Saturdays and Sundays from 12 to 1 o'clock weekly. A very warm hello to our Radio Bomb.net listeners. I'm sitting with Dr. Alexandrati, my friend and my colleague from Tabana Organization. Dr. Andrade uh, and I today are going to run the show. Um, Dr. Rockers is not with us today. We're going to miss him, but uh, we'll do this together. And as uh, Dr. Andrade last uh, week mentioned, sometimes one of us is missing. We just keep going and we continue working with Radio Vamda regardless of who is missing. So um, I just want today to start um, our talk regarding the um, addiction, any kind of addiction, alcohol, drug addiction, and uh, even we can extend it to other addictions because there's so many other addictions, but the worst ones are drug addiction and alcohol addiction. And uh, I was sharing with Dr. Andrade that um, I um, actually met someone who has um, a brother who is uh, addicted and sharing what the family goes through is horrendous. And so today I want um, to open the conversation with Dr. Andrade regarding um, alcohol and drug addiction. Thank you, Sade. Yeah, I do want to just apologize to our listeners. I am a little congested, so I might sound a little more nasally than I normally do. So I do apologize. Yeah, I think this is a great topic. It's something that I see a lot in my practice, uh, that people will come in for this very reason, that they have family members, whether it's uh, siblings, whether it's parents, whether it's children who are struggling with substance abuse. And so I think first thing I want to say is that Substance abuse affects the entire family. I think it's very uh, kind of short-sighted to think that only the individual is affected. And now that may mean that at some point, the connection with the family is very limited, but even that impacts the family. We grow up with our family members and we have ideas about who they are, memories of how they were, even hopes for who they're going to be. And substance use it takes that away. And so I think there's a loss that continues throughout our entire life because of how that person's life has turned out. And so to talk about how to, to cope with that, how to make sense of that, uh, it's an ongoing process. I, I find it's not just something we deal with once and then we move on. It comes up over and over again. And sometimes it's because that person's use is getting more severe and they're coming to us for help. Uh, either that or they're, they're, they're cutting back and they're trying to get help or, you know, there's some medical emergency or there's news of that person, something happening to them or something happens within our family that we're wanting to share with them, but we can't because of their substance use and what it has done to their life and their ability to not only take care of themselves, but to be able to contribute to the family as a whole. So 
I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with. A lot of people are struggling to make sense of and find the answer for. And so uh, hopefully, yeah, today we could shine a little bit more light on what that is for people and just some of the ways that we try to support them in that process. Right. And then uh, I was just uh, making this clear when we talk about drug addiction, uh, we um, are also calling drug addiction substance use disorder. So it is a disease and affects the brain um, and the behaviors that um, people who are addicted, uh, they're enabled to control uh, the use of the drug, whether illegal or legal, because marijuana uh, is considered also addiction if someone is uh, using it con consistently. And even um, nicotine is uh, part of the addiction. And um, also we want to see as in general, what do we call addiction? What is addiction? Uh, so addiction is when you can control yourself by stopping it. So uh, that's when um, we call this addiction. And it's very, as Dr. Andrade mentioned, uh, very severe effect. Um, it has a severe effect on the person's brain and also the family. So uh, today we um, want to make sure people who have a sibling, a family member, um, someone they know that is close to them, uh, what to do and how to deal with the person. And also um, I consider people around that person codependents because they're also somehow involved in that addiction and their behavior because they want to support the person who's addicted. Uh, their behavior is uh, very different than someone who doesn't have a person who is substance abuse um, uh, and has that disorder. Uh, it's very different. They usually behave very differently. They become uh, in control and also they want to support and help and um, they just go beyond their scope of um, relationship to support that person. And that's how they become codependents. Uh, two important points uh, about uh, addiction include this idea of dependence and tolerance. <clears throat> and so with dependence, people are psychologically and physiologically uh, needing that substance. Uh, even if that means to avoid withdrawal symptoms, they need to use that substance. And so that's one indication of dependence. Tolerance is that they're needing more of the substance to get the high. So that's when you see people use more alcohol or more of the drug. And in that, it becomes this vicious cycle where it's a key component of their life. They're spending a lot of time and energy obtaining the substance or thinking about the substance. And if we think about it, that's going to take away from other things in their life. The way I always like to frame it, I, I usually don't call people addicts or I don't say, you know, you have an addiction. I like to frame it in this way of, you know, we all have a relationship with substance and so we need to look at what your relationship is. And so I like to think of it as if you're spending all of your time and energy in regards to your relationship with the substance use, it's going to take away from those other relationships. That includes the relationship with yourself, as well as even with those from your family. So that's how you can sometimes indicate uh, addiction. You see that dependence and that tolerance 
being something that is really at the forefront for that person. They're focused on other things besides what in our life, a lot of times we're focused on. We're focused on our family, our career, our partners, uh, the the alcohol, uh, the, the substance, whatever it may be, takes over co- total control in that way. And so as Saide, you were mentioning, it puts added pressure on family members who are needing to sometimes feel like they need to meet that need because that person isn't able to take care of themselves or to do the things that you know life requires sometimes that family member has to step in and contribute and so it's not only that you're taking care of yourself but then you're having to take care of that family member uh, and they're just sometimes seeming as though they're just needing more and more help they're needing more and more guidance it's almost sometimes people will say it's like a teenager it's like a, a kid who they're not able to think and take care of themselves in the way that they need to as a you know a 20, 30, 40 year old, something adult um, that uh, we probably won't go into it, but uh, the, the um, impact of substance use on the brain uh, prohibits a person from being able to be as, as responsible and as present and as clear as they need to be. Uh, it, there's just so many ways that drug impacts a person. And uh, it definitely the, the impact on family is something that I feel like doesn't get a lot of acknowledgement. So I, I'm glad that we're talking about how to, support people in, in trying to understand just, you know, where, where's that balance of helping our family and also trying to take care of ourselves so that we could be there for the rest of our family. Uh, but trying to navigate that in a way that doesn't lead to us feeling guilty or turning our back completely. And I think that's the hard part. People find themselves at a crossroads. Do we turn our back? Do we cut them off? Do we help them every time they're in trouble? You know, what, what's the right thing to do? And I, and I feel like that's the biggest struggle for family members. Very much so. And especially when, uh, especially in collectivistic culture, when uh, you have such a bond with the family, it feels like something has happened to you and you take it so uh, in that you get involved, you want to have your kindness, you want to have um, your full attention, your, you want to try to save that person, but you don't know what to do. But I also wanted to say when you talked about the tolerance is, um, I'm sorry if you've mentioned it, but I want to make it clear for our listeners that it it's means that you need more and more of the substance to get the same effect. And that's tolerance. And I want to talk about the signs that um, you may have a drug problem. So maybe some people, when you talk to them, they go, oh, no, I just do this occasionally. No, I never get addicted. But they sometimes don't realize they are addicted. So when you keep taking the drug after it's no longer needed, that means uh, you are addicted. Uh, you need more of it as you take it more. Uh, you feel strange when the drug wears off and you may be shaky, depressed, sick to your stomach, you're sweating, you may have headache. Um, you may also be tired or not hungry anymore. In severe cases, uh, you could even be confused. Um, you may have run fever. You may have seizures because withdrawal, it has all these effects. But now if you are at a point that you don't have that drug 
getting to your system, to your blood. These are all the signs. And also you can stop yourself from using the drug, even if you want to, um, because I've seen many people that they really want to get away from addiction. They try, but they go back to it. Um, you're still using it, even though it's making bad things happening to your life, to your uh, behavior, uh, just you have trouble with friends, you have trouble with family, work, or sometimes with the law. You spend a lot of your time thinking about the drug, how to get more, when you're taking it, how good you feel, or not, uh, how bad uh, you feel afterwards. I mean, all of that at the same time uh, is happening. You have a hard time giving yourself limits you might say you're only using this much, but then can't stop. And um, you just take twice as much as maybe it's even needed because your body craves it. Um, or you use it more often than you meant to. Um, you've lost interest in things you once liked to do. You've begun having trouble doing normal daily things like cooking, working, um, you drive or do other dangerous things like use heavy machines when you're on the drug. Uh, you borrow or steal money to pay for the drug. You hide the drug um, and you just don't show that you're using it. Um, and, and you try to get away from people who pay attention to you and you don't want to show. So there are more also, but I, I just want to see what else you can say about this i find a lot of times too there's a real minimization of it and it's tricky because you could say well if it's not a problem of course a person's to say no i'm fine i don't really have that issue but if you see that person just kind of continually drinking or using substance and it feels like that's the focal point i think the the prime example is if you're like oh yeah we're all gonna get together oh okay well i'll bring a 24 pack and it's like well, well hold on like it's for a kid's birthday party. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just bring a 12 pack then. And it's just like that person is the first one to say, Hey, we're running low on beer or Hey, uh, are, is there going to have, are they going to have alcohol there? Or, you know, should I get a couple of drinks before? Or again, that's, that's always at the forefront of their mind. And then if you do bring it up, like, Hey, you know, it seems like you've been drinking a lot. Oh, don't tell me how to live my life or oh, you're the one with the problem, not me. I mean, if you're met with this like strong, you know, defensiveness, sometimes it's uh, an indication of, hey, there might be something more going on here. And I find sometimes it's tough to have that conversation alone uh, with that person when they're maybe not drinking. Definitely one of those conversations, if they are, you know, using substance, probably not the best time to, to have that. If they're high or drunk, you know, you're probably not going to get through to them. I always like to encourage, you know, strike when the iron's cold. Uh, you know, when they're not, you know, highly intoxicated, if you're even thinking about having that conversation, but uh, maybe something more we can talk about, because even approaching that conversation with somebody could be really difficult. Uh, it's like, how do you say it? How do you get them to listen? All right, we got to our first break. So, Shanvandagane, Aziza Radio Bomdad, Man Imbrusbetefog, Dr. Andrade, Dusfaham Kara Masrekate Tavona, در خدمتون هستیم دکتر دانیل راکرز امروز با ما نیستن و ما امروز داریم راجع به اعتیاد به الکل یا مواد مخدر صحبت میکنیم و اینکه چقدر شخصی که معتاد هستش خودش 
با مشکلات رفتاری و این بیماری دست و پنجه نرم میکنه و چقدر افراد فامیل دچار مشکل میشن به خصوص در فرهنگ هایی که وابستگی افراد به هم زیاده خواهر برادر پدر مادر افراد دیگر نزدیک فامیل چقدر گرفتار میشن و چقدر این مشکل گسترش پیدا میکنه در خانواده و چجوری افراد خانواده میتونن واقعا کمک کنن به خودشون و شخص متاد و امروز درباره این داریم صحبت میکنیم یک بریک کوتاه میگیریم برمیگردیم و دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم With Dr. Andrade, uh, my colleague and my friend from Tavano organization, uh, Dr. Andrade, uh, Dr. Rockers is not with us today. We miss him. Uh, and as I said at the beginning of our program, sometimes one of us, three, is missing and we continue to provide our program for Radio Bomdad. Uh, if uh, you uh, have someone at home that can benefit from our conversation, Uh, today, we are talking about drug use uh, and substance abuse. Both is the same. Um, so uh, if someone can get benefit, please tell them to listen to us. Uh, we also wanted to um, talk about our podcast. We have uh, more than 170 podcasts we have created for Radio Bomdad uh, between three of us. And uh, you can search us on Spotify, on Google, um, on Radio Bomdad, you go to podcasts, you search for uh, psychology and culture, and you can find us and listen to any of our topics on your spare time. We are back to talk about the alcohol and drug use. And um, we um, talked about uh, the symptoms that shows uh, you're addicted. Um, and one of the other things I forgot to say is you sleep too much or too little compared to a normal person who doesn't have drug issues um, or you eat a lot more or a lot less. So things are not uh, the way they were. Uh, you look different. Uh, you may have bloodshot eyes. 
bad breath, shaky um, body or shaky hands and tremor, um, frequent bloody nose, uh, or you may gain or lost weight. Uh, you have a new set of friends because obviously you need to be with people that they're more like you and you don't, they don't criticize you. So you are hanging out with friends who are also addicted. You go to more than one doctor to get different prescription. Uh, you look at other people's medicine cabinet and drugs to take because part of the um, thing that happened to you is uh, stealing. Unfortunately, you take prescribed meds with alcohol or other drugs to have more effect. Um, so um, back to you, Dr. Andrade, and we can continue uh, same conversation. Yeah, I wanted to mention the idea of, you know, how do we bring this up? And so I think it starts with, I kind of go to both extremes. Now, if this is something that feels very new for you, it's something that you maybe you've seen getting uh, progressively worse, but it's not something where there's been like a long family history or, uh, you know, a long personal history of this problem. It's something that you're just kind of starting to notice in a person. And then the other extreme of it, this has been going on for some time. So, uh, and then we can kind of work towards the middle maybe, but uh, I always like the idea of leading with love. And so if you see somebody starting to struggle with something, you see that they're maybe drinking a little bit more, or you're seeing some of these other behaviors that Saide just mentioned, you know, lead with love and the idea of letting them know, hey, I'm a little concerned about you. I'm not sure if it's a problem or not, but just wanted to make sure you're okay. And I've noticed maybe you've been a little off. I don't know if there's you've been drinking or using some kind of substance, but I just want to make sure you're okay. I want you to know that I care, that I love you, and that I'm concerned and that, you know, we're here to help you if you need that help. And so that allows the person to maybe hear that in a less defensive way. Because if we go to them and say, hey, you have a drinking problem or, hey, are you using drugs? Even if they are, no one's going to say, yes, I am. I'm glad you confronted me. Now let's solve this together. No, they're going to say, well, what, what's your problem? Why are you coming at me this way? And so to be able to lead with love, kind of say, I'm concerned, uh, I'm worried about you, can be one way to approach it. The other extreme of if this has been something we've seen as an ongoing problem, I think we're needing to be a little bit more firmer with our boundaries as far as how much help we give. We may feel like we're past that point of leading with love but wanting to let the person know that this is a problem, that this is an issue and that we're willing to help them, but there are limits too. Uh, you mentioned to Saida a moment ago that there may be like a history of like stealing. With that, there's usually a bunch of other behaviors that we see. There's been conflict or argument. The person has been challenging in different ways to, to deal with and to communicate with. So we may have to have those firmer boundaries and say, hey, you, you know, I feel like you're only coming to me when you need something. I'm willing to help but this is how I can help you. And so we may have to say no to certain things, but then we can offer alternatives. They're like, Hey, I need money. Hey, I can't give you money. So you need something to eat. I can drop something off to you or, you know, I can meet you, you know, here for lunch, but I'm not going to be able to give you any money. And so that can be difficult because it feels like, and sometimes there'll be very elaborate uh, and very heart wrenching stories about why you need to help them, why they need money, why that other type of help isn't, uh, you know, what they need. Sometimes it's like, oh, I need help paying this, you know, bill uh, for, you know, the electricity. And it's like, well, just give me the cash. Just give me the money. It's fine. Even if you offer to pay those bills, they don't want that. 
again, you might find yourself in a situation where it's the help that you're offering is being pushed away. But then at the same time, to keep giving money or to keep giving the resource that uh, can tax you, whether it's your time or your money, just leads to that person's behavior continuing in that way. So we can't stop a person from continuing to use. Sometimes I hear that from family members. I wish I could just physically hold them and restrain them and get them not to do those things anymore. We can't do that, unfortunately. But what we can do is be firm with how much and what type of help we can kind of give. So I, I went all over the place there. So I definitely jump well, in wherever. Right. No, thank you. Um, it was great. But also I was going to say uh, drug addiction isn't about heroin or cocaine or other illegal drugs. I mentioned very briefly, um, you can get addicted um, to things that are available at home, like um, alcohol, um, anxiety medications, and other um, legal substances. Um, and even sleep um, that could be addicted, um, especially we see sometimes in younger generation, in teenagers, too much of sleep could be um, addicted, um, I mean, bring addiction. Uh, you can also get addicted to prescription or um, illegally um, narco pain drugs, um, especially when you have a physical issue and you use narco to get away from the pain, you get addicted to that and um, you may just use more and more to get over the pain. And we know that um, this is something that in United States, and um, especially I know the statistics in United States, a lot of people are using narco, um, especially with the way the um, system is, you need to go back to work, you may have um, injured yourself uh, doing a sport, or uh, working at home or doing different things. And because of that, you don't want to miss work. So what you do, you just uh, use these um, narcos to get over the pain and soon after you become addicted. And then uh, we know that in 2018, opioid uh, also played a role in two thirds of all drug overuse death. And I know it's a big problem in here, and um, uh, we have to be careful because at first you may choose to take a drug because you like the way it makes you feel, but then uh, you may think you can control. And I hear that from many youngsters that they said, oh no, it's occasional, or I was using it with friends, but then gradually uh, you become addicted. So, um, this is really important today we are talking about, and especially I want to open up this conversation to our families so that they pay attention. If you see you have a teenager at home that is acting different, his behavior is different, his friends are now different people that you don't know, um, he just acts very different than before. You have to watch for that. Yeah, and I agree. And, and I think it's important, too, because a lot of times these things can overlap with normal life things. So it's usually not just one thing. For example, like you said, with sleep, it's a great example. 
developmentally in our teenage years, you know, we'll sleep more than normal. Like as an adult, you're like, I have to get up at like 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. That's just weird if I don't. Whereas teenagers, we can look back and remember, oh, yeah, I slept till, you know, 10 or till 12. Um, sometimes kids are up, especially nowadays, you know, they'll have their phones, they'll be on their phone all night and they're sleeping until 12. So it's not one thing of any of this list that you read that points to that, but it's, it's usually a combination of those things that we see. And so being attuned to, you know, this person's, you know, kind of attitude, demeanor, their friends, uh, you know, just kind of what it seems like they're interested in, uh, in life, there are times where those things fluctuate and change. But also, too, that's something we want to think about, you know, is there some possible substance use here? Uh, you also mentioned the idea, too, which I think is so important to remember that very rarely does anybody choose to become addicted to anything. It can be one of those things where first it's pain relief or it's a social thing and then it becomes something. And I think that's where I see a lot of people who themselves come in for treatment they're realizing this is taking up more space in their life than they're wanting it to be, or the people in their life are being impacted by that. And, and they come often recognizing there's a, a struggle that they're having, yet they're not able to overcome it with just sheer willpower or just that personal strength in that way. And I always remind them that there is a real psychological as well as a physiological uh, impact that substances have in that way. So it's easy, I think, to blame the person and to say they're a bad person or they're a weak person. Uh, that doesn't really, one, uh, paint the full picture of it, nor helps them in that way. If we're telling somebody that they're weak and they're not able to uh, be strong enough to pull themselves off the of substance, how are they going to believe that anything they do is going to make a difference? And so it starts with that idea of this is something that's happened to you. It's gotten to this point. And now you're recognizing that something maybe needs to be different. And if it's that family member who, who's struggling to see things need to be different, I think it's us trying to encourage and support them and recognize that, you know, we're seeing them struggle, even though they may not see that. We're trying to help them and uh, let them understand that it seems like something else is, is taking central uh, focus in their life that we're just wanting to provide some support and some care for them in the way. And that we don't want to see them still hurt. We don't want to see them struggle, but they, they maybe need to think about what's going on in their life and maybe that they need to think about getting some help. And there are also resources for family members too. Uh, a lot of people may be familiar with AA for substance abuse, uh, particularly alcohol. There's NA for Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, but for family members, there's a group called Al-Anon. And that's where family members of substance use users go to learn about substance use, understand ways to communicate with family, even ways to set limits and boundaries. And so it's a, it's a great program that I've had patients use who've spoke to a, a lot of success with it because they're able to speak to other people who are going through that same thing, people who've been through that, people who have struggled to help and support family uh, like you said, that codependency to feel that pool and that guilt of needing to help family who are hurting and who are struggling, yet also trying to manage their own well-being too. So it's a, it's a great resource, a great program for people to look into if you feel like you're just exhausted with you know the situation, feeling like you're needing some support in that way. 
And it is uh, very exhausting and emotional for the family. I think the emotion that comes and takes over for the close family member is huge, um, especially as I said, uh, when you are in a culture that closeness is a lot and um, putting yourself in a situation that you're just helping the person, even you may sound mean, you may act like very um, distance from the person by helping uh, the person, but because emotion comes and takes over, it's very difficult for a parent, for a sibling to just put themselves in a situation that now they're separating themselves from that connection and that um, relationship, and now they're just trying to help. Um, so. Um, when you talk to family members who have an addicted person in their family, they're exhausted. They definitely go through so much mental health issues, uh, psychological issues. Some of them, they start actually becoming themselves sort of addicted to uh, some um, uh, drugs, different like prescription drugs and they have to take it for anti-anxiety. They become depressed. I mean, so many stories from families who are dealing with people in their life that are very, very close to them and they're going under this situation. And many marriages uh, ends because of one person having um, the problem with addiction. We know that so many alcohol abuse, so many drug abuse people, they have relationship issues and it doesn't help at all. Even though they come to counseling, um, they try different things until that addiction is not away from the person, these issues continue to persist. So with that, maybe we give another break and we come back to continue the last part of our conversation. Shermanigan Aziz, Radio Bomdad, I guess today more as Radio Bomdad, the Zabani English, Mishnavin, Morusai Shambu, Yek Shambe, Bodustanam, Vaham Koranam as Sherkate, Ayrent for Yetavono, Boradio Bomdad, Hamkari Mikonim, Sedaimo, the Zabani English, Sihas, Vagakisani Hasanke. از این برنامه استفاده میکنن خواهش میکنم دعوتشون کنین به برنامه ما توجه کنن ما بیش از 170 و یا 180 پادکست در طول نزدیک به دو سال برنامه با رادیو بامداد داریم که میتونین از طریق رادیو بامداد به سایت رادیو بامداد برین کلیک کنین روی پادکست ها برنامه ما under culture and psychology یا اینکه میتونین به آیتون یا گوگل و سپاریفای برین و تحت عنوان کالچر ان سایکالوجی اپیزودهایی رو که ما داشتیم بهشون گوش بدید برمیگردیم دنباله صحبتمون رو راجب استفاده از مواد مخدر و الکل یا مواد دیگری که باعث ادیکشن و اعتیاد میشه صحبت میکنیم با ما باشید بعد از یک بریک کوتاه.
with Dr. Alexandradi today. Dr. Daniel Rockers is not with us. We miss him, obviously. And as I mentioned in the other two parts of our program, uh, one of us sometimes is not available, but we continue our program. So today it's me and Dr. Andrade, and we continue our conversation regarding alcohol use, what their families go through, uh, what happens um, when someone changes the behavior and what goes on in the families. Uh, and we are back to continue our conversation. One of the things that I want to emphasize is what the drug does to the brain. The drug that may be addictive target our brain's reward system, and they flood our brain with chemical called dopamine. This uh, dopamine, which is a hormone, triggers a feeling of intense pleasure. And um, we keep taking that drug to get to that high that we got to, and we had a very good experience feeling high. So over time, our brain gets used to that extra dopamine, and uh, we may need to take more of the drug to get the same good feeling. And other things we may enjoy, like food, hanging out with family, uh, may give us less pressure, pleasure anymore because something else has replaced it. That's why when we say the behavior changes, the person who's addicted may not enjoy being in the group that they were with the family. So um, when um, we use the drugs for a long time, it can cause changes in our brain chemical system and um, uh, also the circuits of the brain as well. And they can hurt our judgment, our decision-making, memory, ability to learn, so together, these brain changes can drive us uh, to seek out and take drugs in ways that are beyond our control. So it's important, especially for family members, to uh, pay attention because we all get so busy in life that if we have a teenager, we have a child at home, that sometimes we don't get to really watch them carefully. We just drop them somewhere because we are so busy to do other things. Um, I have been um, a parent and I know how teenagers uh, schedule works. You drop them here to do sports, you drop them here to go with friends, but watch, be very careful with your teenagers. If their friends changes, if their behavior changes, if they don't enjoy things that they had pleasure uh, into doing those, uh, pay attention. And I don't have children yet, but uh, I can say as a teen, as a former teenager myself, I think an important thing to for parents to look for too is is just that change. Those those changes in kind of attitude and kind of focus just in that, that kind of their, their interactions in a way that you know your child to be when you have that one-on-one -on -one -on -one time with them. I think, like you said, it's a great point you made too. You're just dropping them off. Uh, but in that time they're in the car, there are those opportunities. There are those moments where you can talk with them and hear about what they're interested in, kind of lean into what are those things that they enjoy and that they engage. And, and maybe it's only a few minutes, but even that could be a way to kind of take the temperature, if you will, of not only the relationship, but even in regards to them and how they're doing. 
if there's that increased silence, that increased secrecy or privacy, I mean, to some degree, that's normal at that age. But also, too, you, you want to have that exploration of those relationships to kind of get a sense of where they're at, what's going on with them. It's so immense, the amount of peer pressure and, and kind of social pressure that kids feel sometimes. Uh, and, and drugs are a part of that sometimes. So if, if that message isn't continually being perpetuate it by you as the parent that, you know, you don't need to do drugs, that people are going to pressure you. It's probably going to be people, you know, people you trust, people who are your friends. Uh, you know, I, I want you to know it's okay. You can talk to me about those things. I'd rather have you come and talk to me and tell me how tough of the, the decision it was to say no to your friends than to say that, you know, you got in trouble at school because you had drugs on you or because, you know, you gave it to somebody or that, you know, you, somebody got really drunk and sick or somebody almost overdosed. I mean, those are conversations that no parent wants to have with their child, but knowing that they can come to you, that they can talk with you, that can be so valuable, so important. Yeah. And also, um, you know, uh, teenagers, especially in this culture, uh, there's, exposed to alcohol at home when they go to friends house they have uh, also at school an environment that they go they know people that they use different things so uh, because I was at school and I know this as a as an admin I was dealing with this a lot so my eyes and ears were always open about the drugs and alcohol and that was a fortunate thing because I had two teenagers at home. And with that, I was pretty much expert to know what I'm doing with my kids. But I want to say who's most likely to become addicted. Each person's body and brain are different. People also react differently to drugs. Some love the feeling the first time they try and some hate it. So I guess we are fortunate if we hate it uh, and we don't want to go to it. And it has happened to several people. I know that they have tried and they never even want to get close and they hate it. And not everyone who uses drugs for the first time becomes addicted. Um, some things may raise your chance of addiction. And one of them is family history. And it's important to um, emphasize on that. Um, you, our genes are responsible for about half of uh, the odds that happens. So if our parents or siblings have problems with alcohol or drugs, chances are that we are more likely to have that. And women and men equally are, um, uh, you know, likely to become addicted. And then also one of the things that it's very, very important to know is early drug use. Children's brain are still growing and drug use can change that. So taking drugs at an early age may make you more likely to get addicted when you get older. And the brain may um, have some um, uh, stops to uh, the growth that it was normally going through the development. So also mental disorders, if uh, someone is depressed, have trouble paying attention, or they're worried constantly, they may have a higher chance of addiction. So it's important to pay attention to this. And also we talked about the relationship. Um, if 
we grow up with families that they have trouble with their family and one of their family member, maybe parents, one of the parents is um, alcoholic or uses drugs. Um, I remember when uh, I was uh, in college studying for psychology, we used to do geneogram and everybody was going back to generations before and remembering who was addicted in their families and what was going on. And, um, and a lot of learning was happening with people who had someone in their family who was drug use, drug abuse, alcohol abused, and um, they were addicted. And that sharing was helping a lot with people who were at the same time dealing with a family member who, were, who was uh, addicted. And one of these uh, meetings that um, you mentioned, Dr. Andrade, the AA meeting, um, there are two different ones. One is for a person who's addicted. The other one is for the codependents, people who are dealing as a side of the addicted person is called codependents people. So in these meetings, uh, by sharing the feeling, the emotion, um, what they go through, and really being honest about things are happening in your life, it helps you a lot in, uh, first of all, learning a lot that other people also are going through, and also um, just get it out of your chest that what you go through. Yeah, I think it could be so important to talk with other people about it, because sometimes we can feel so isolated in what we're experiencing and what we're going through. Uh, also, that touches on the idea too, there can be a lot of shame in regards to having to deal with these types of situations, both personally and within the family. Sometimes there's this idea that we don't want to embarrass the family or we don't want the family to look bad. And so if there's a family member who's using substances, we'll sometimes try to keep that private or keep that quiet. But then that creates sometimes more pressure for a person that they need to navigate that or subdue that so that that doesn't come out that that person is using drugs and that that looks bad on the family in that way. And I think shame is one of those things where we all have shame to some degree, but too much shame can create problems where it's where feeling isolated, where we're feeling disconnected. And along those lines, we're not reaching out for help. So to be able to talk about these things and to discuss these things openly, yes, it may not be comfortable. Yes, it may not be the thing that we want to admit or acknowledge it, but sometimes that's one of the ways that we could start to get help about something. That's a way that we can start to address it versus just hoping the problem goes away or having to kind of reinvent uh, uh, for ourselves how to deal with such a complex issue in that way. I did want to mention too, as you're mentioning the, the brain and the genetics and things like that, uh, a lot of times you'll hear this word, there's a predisposition. And essentially what that means is what you were mentioning is that if there's a family history of some substance use, we could be predisposed to also being subjected to uh, addiction. I always like to remind people that doesn't mean automatically. Like you said, there's a chance. There's a chance that if we have a family member who uses substances, that we may also have some issue with substances. It may not even be the same substance necessarily, but there can still be that possibility that an addiction of some type can grow. I always like to remind people, we need to almost respect that possibility. 
we don't want to push it in that way. We don't want to say, well, my dad had, you know, problems with alcohol. So, you know, I could, but I could drink. It's like, well, you know, there's sometimes this idea, there's this line that we cross. There's this threshold, if you will, where once we cross that line with our use, it can become an addiction. And if we're predisposed, that line is maybe a little bit closer to kind of normal drinking than it is for other people. So we can't just think of it as, okay, well, I don't have that problem just because a family member did, or it's not a problem for me yet. It's one of those things we don't really want to gamble with something like that. So knowing if there's a family member who had a predisposition, we want to kind of keep an eye on that. We don't want to maybe push the limits of that. We have to say, you know what, this is something that, you know, my family struggles with a little bit. And so I I try to keep an eye on it a little bit more. And so similarly, if we have a family member who's struggling with it, and we know there's a family history of that, for whatever reason, for that person, they may have crossed that line. It's gotten to a point where it's not something that they can control anymore. It's not something they have choice in, in the way that most people can choose to do something. I would say it's beyond choice. It's beyond willpower. It's something that people have to really take the time and energy and effort to learn how to manage. Because as you mentioned, it changes the brain. The brain is not just going to snap back to what it used to be or what it was going to be. It's going to be a gradual uh, kind of healing that happens of the brain given the damage that has been done by that substance, the reward centers and the, and the, the patterns that have been built in those reward centers, the brain knows that the substance gives that reward in a very instant kind of way versus not having that reward. So again, just one of the many things that are worked on in therapy with individuals who are using substances, as well as helping family members of substance users as well. Absolutely. And um, also, I was going to say, because I mentioned um, narco use, especially for people who use painkillers, and we know that one of the famous uh, pop artists, um, Janet Jackson, I mean, Janet, I said. um, Janis Joplin? No. uh, (laughs) You know, there are a couple of them that they have. (laughs) There are. I was going to say, I didn't know Janet Jackson had a substance problem. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean that. Janet <laughs> no, Jackson but, is okay, people. She's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, don't take that. That no, we know yeah. of. That we know of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, many of the people that we know they've been using the drugs, they actually lost their lives over that. But I want to mention when we talked about- Whitney this, Houston? Was it Whitney Houston? Is that who you're thinking Whitney of? Whitney Houston is one of them. Yes, okay. sure. Because okay. she actually overdosed and, and there were even more- but um, I was just specifically, I did want to mention a specific name because there are so many people, uh, especially as we know, unfortunately, people who were in band, they were famous, like you mentioned, Whitney Houston, um, but um, also other people that we know that uh, due to coming on the scene, they needed the high, they used the drugs and they get into it. And then they try to be clean, they go through uh, different programs, and then they get back to it. But the reason I wanted to go back to the painkillers that I mentioned, um, most people who take their pain medication as directed by their doctor do not become addicted. We have to be clear because sometimes they have issues physically that we definitely need 
to use drugs and that's by prescription, but we need to be careful to go only by directions that um, we have been prescribed. So I don't want to say this and then people who are on medication think that they're gonna be addicted. If you use the drugs by the direction of the doctor, most probably you're fine. And you could always ask, is there something lower? Like if they give you some kind of pain medication, is there a Tylenol that I can take or something like that? So they'll, they'll also give you that. Sometimes they start with what's recommended. You could always ask like, what's a step down to That's always something I remind people. Yeah. Yeah. Or fears about addiction. Cause now we are talking about this should not prevent you from using, um, narcotics, um, to relieve your pain if you need, because I know some people really need it, but you have to be careful, but, um, to avoid the addiction when using those drugs, take the drugs, as I said, exactly as your doctor prescribed, tell your doctor, if you have people in your family who um, had um, addiction and you have that maybe in your genes, these are all good conversation with the doctor. Um, And we have to remember that it's common for people to develop a tolerance to pain medication and to need higher doses to get same level of relief. This is normal and is not a sign of addiction. We have to also mention all this so we are not confusing people who are using the drugs for their physical issues. With addiction, you may need to use higher doses, but it's not for pain relief. So still, you need to talk to your doctor and uh, share the affection, the uh, effect of the drugs on your physical um, being. Well, I know we're at a couple of minutes left. Uh, I wanted to see if we wanted to leave a final message for our listeners. Uh, I'm happy to go first unless you would like to. No, go ahead. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I just want to encourage family members. It's This is a, a difficult and hard thing to make sense of a lot of times. You can feel alone, lost, confused, angry, hurt, uh, frustrated by just what has been going on. Those are very normal emotions in a situation where we don't feel like we have a lot of control, especially when we feel like we've lost a family member, somebody that we love and care about to a substance, to uh, an addiction in that way. And so I, I always like to remind people that, you know, this often starts from a place of love that we're hurt, we're frustrated because of the love that we have for that person. And so in making some of those changes, including, you know, getting help for ourselves, such as going to Al-Anon, setting some of those firm boundaries with others, it's also coming from a place of love. We need to love ourselves. We're hoping that the love that the family member has for us would also encourage us to go to get help and resources in that way. As I mentioned in my practice, I see people who are needing help and support with that. And so it's something where sometimes you're even even needing to go to get your own therapist to help navigate that. But I think it's it starts with this idea of, you know, in order to help and give to somebody, sometimes we have to learn to take care of ourselves and recognize that just giving over and over again, especially when it comes to something like this, is not just going to make the issue get better. Giving somebody money, always saying yes to them, does not help them to get any closer to addressing their own addiction. And if anything, it puts you in a place where those feelings I just described 
tend to increase and worsen and then end up taking a toll on your life. So it's a difficult journey. It's very, you know, unsettling, uncomfortable, not something you imagined having to deal with. And sometimes we're needing to get that help and that support. So, you know, definitely encourage you to reach out in any way that you can. Saide, how about you? Yeah. And I want to say, um, you know, there's some do's and some don'ts. Um, please have compassion for yourself and also realize that addiction is a disease. So have compassion for yourself, have compassion for the person who is addicted and realize that that person is ill, has a disease. Um, expect difficulties because when you're dealing with a situation like this, as we went through everything, you expect those difficulties. Educate yourself how to deal with your issues emotionally, psychologically, and how to deal with the person who is going through all this. And then seek counseling or therapy. It's very important to not let this go deeper and deeper. And things we really want you not to do is having shame and having actually criticizing the person and don't criticize the person. Remember they're ill, they have a disease. And the other thing is don't expect immediate change. You have to go through time. You have to go through different steps to really see the change in yourself and the person. Another thing is enable your loved one. And this is also very important and give in to uh, manipulation. So all this are very, very important. And with that, I want to say goodbye to our listeners and have a wonderful weekend.
گل بکاری گر بخواهی گر نخواهی
رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا